Welcome to At The Table, the podcast for the SBC Women's Leadership Network. Join the conversations of a collaborative community of women from the Southern Baptist Convention family who long to connect, engage, and encourage one another as they serve and lead in diverse ways to impact the kingdom of God. Pull up a chair, grab your favorite drink, and listen in on what God is doing through women of the SBC. Hello, friends. Welcome to At The Table, the podcast for the SBC Women's Leadership Network. I am so excited to be back after a month off in July. Uh, We are past convention and past summer, and I don't know about you, but our family is doing all of the back-to-school things. For me, I am really excited to get back to hearing stories, to hearing the journeys of women in the SBC. And today I have a new friend that I get to introduce you to. Her name is Tina. Tina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. How how are you doing with back to school stuff? I know we chatted before we started recording. You've got three kids. So how is back to school for you going? I do. And we have knocked out two of our lists and we're working on a third. So my kids start next week. My okay. first two go to so, school on Thursday. Yeah. All right. So when this airs, they'll already be in there two days. So hopefully it'll go well. Now, you said your youngest is six. So are they going into kindergarten or first grade? That's right. She's going to be starting kindergarten. Okay. And then I've got one headed to fourth grade and another who's going to be a sophomore in high school. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, two mm-hmm. of mine are kind of close to you. I've got a kindergartner and a third grader. So we're close and then fifth grade. So, um, But yes, lots of things, lots of things on the calendar and trying to knock off all of the back to school to do's, but no doubt. <laughs> all the meetings. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know today I had middle school orientation and I had like heart palpitations just walking through those doors again. Like nobody wants to go back to middle school. So um so let's stop talking about middle school because that's not a good place to be. Um let's talk about you. Can you tell me a little bit about you? Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? How are you connected to the SBC? Just give us a couple, you know, get to know you things about you. Sure, yes. Well, my dad was a pastor, and uh, I grew up in in a church called First Baptist Church of Norfolk, where he pastored from the time I was in the first grade until I graduated from high school. So that church was really formative for me. And even though my dad went on to serve with the North American Mission Board and then as the president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, mm-hmm. his name is Ken Hempill. Um, I still think of him primarily as a pastor. He is the heart of a pastor. He loves um, expository preaching. And so his ministry, no doubt, um, shaped me in a lot of ways. And my mom was really engaged in ministry, too, as a pastor's wife and a teacher, a gifted teacher. And then as a trustee with the International Mission Board and later as the Women's Mobilization Consultant for the IMB. So... Um, My parents have been really involved in Southern Baptist life, and uh, I ended up, I did not think I would end up in ministry, and I studied philosophy and studio art, which is quite possibly the most impractical major you could possibly have. (laughs) And so I ended up in design, and my husband and I met while we were preparing to go overseas. We were um, both overseas for two years. And uh, in different locations, he was in East Africa working um, in uh, computer programming, and I was in Bulgaria teaching. And we came home and got married and then went back overseas to serve in Central Asia, um, where we work um, with Christian nonprofits there. 
doing media and communications work. So my, my work has primarily been in writing, editing, and design for the last 20 years or so. Okay. Okay. So tell me, how did that connect with college and being in art to then making its way into a um, career to where you're editing and obviously on the ground doing a lot of writing? Like, how did those two things kind of happen? <laughs> how did you bridge those two things? Yeah, it's an unlikely trajectory, isn't it? Although, you know, I studied philosophy because I, I, I knew that it was the foundation for, I was basically interested in everything. So yeah. I thought about being an English major. I thought about being a sociology major. I thought about being a psych major. I thought about um, history. I thought about politics. Um, and mainly I loved art history. And mm -hmm. so philosophy was the one thing that all these different disciplines sort of grew out of in some ways. And mm -hmm. so I think that's how I ended up in philosophy. Design came right out of my interest in studio art and my need to actually like make a salary. <laughs> 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 so, right. So those things end up becoming, you know, and as I've grown, as I've gotten older, I've become much more interested in theology. And of course, philosophy dovetails with theology right. so beautiful, right. beautifully. It certainly prepared me to read a lot of theology. And so, um, and I've, I went back and got my master's sort of mid through our, our service overseas um, at Regent College. And my philosophy background gave me a great sort of jumping off point for yeah. studies in theology. So I am, don't regret it, but I would also say it's, it's not immediately obvious how to apply those degrees. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is that God definitely uses some of those things, you know, that are from our past and the, the things that we're even interested in and passionate about when we're young. And he just backpacks off of those things, I think, which is so cool. I'm curious, Absolutely. how do you see um, just as you were growing up, like, did you love travel? Did you see yourself going overseas? Or was that something that just kind of naturally developed as opportunities opened and with school and philosophy and studying and those kind of things? Oh, I absolutely I actually was born overseas. I was born in the UK, in Cambridge, England, while my dad was studying over there. And, um, and then when I was in college, I did a semester abroad that led to me going back overseas as a as an assistant for a professor right after I graduated. And so I was already traveling. I knew I think I wanted to to explore sort of other cultures and be um, and put myself sort of in a cross-cultural environment. So yes, I would say the desire, the interest, the curiosity, the calling to to work and live and serve cross-culturally was there from a pretty early age. That's so neat. And I think it's a big part of who you are and your story and what we're about to talk about with this new book that you have written, mm -hmm. um, because you've got so much experience. And I think, especially as Westerners to where we kind of have our way of life and our way of thinking, and until you step foot off of our soil, you know, like you're not really opened up to just so much um, just vast difference of how we do things here um, and systems and culture and, and those kind of things. And so I was just curious, you know, like, is that something that always just kind of drove you to not be here uh, in the West? Um, and what I love is that you're now taking those experiences and bringing them back to those of us here um, in your new book. So talk to me a little bit about your new book that you've written that just got released and um, how did it 
get here? Like what mm-hmm. amounted to you deciding to write a book, to deciding to put um, some of your stories in black and white and then throwing it out for the planet to read? I've, I got to think that's a pretty <laughs> vulnerable thing, right? Surely not the whole planet. <laughs> Surely the whole planet won't read my <laughs> I hope they do. That would be overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, it's true. Like crossing cultures, one of the things that I do love about doing that is that it strips away some of the presumptions that we bring um, to the Bible mm. a lot of the times. You know, we don't realize how how our immersion in a particular North American secular culture informs our reading of scripture until we get out of it. Yeah. And that's what happened, that's what has happened repeatedly to me the longer I've lived overseas. Um, and I'll be, I'll be honest, I never expected to live most uh, this long overseas. We've been overseas for about 19 years now. And I can honestly tell you that surprises me probably as, as much as it does my family. I, I didn't think I would raise my kids overseas. All three of my kids were born overseas. Um, but it's just, um, I don't know, it's the path that God had for our family uh, one, you know, when you go over to another culture, the first thing you do is learn language. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I was learning Turkish when we moved to Istanbul, Turkey, uh, with a wonderful language helper. And uh, she had gotten to be a really close friend. And so she was, we were sitting having tea one day, and she had gotten to know my family, and my littlest sister had just had a baby. And so she said, Tina, could we just... Um, Let's before we, you know, we were going to video Skype. So we were getting ready for that. And she said, wait, before we call, um, can you tell me what would you say in English as a blessing for a new baby? And I thought about that. And I was like, you know, honestly, we just say congratulations. Hmm. And when when a Turkish person is disagreeing with you, they kind of do this tongue click and sort of lift their heads like and. So she said that and looked so disappointed. And she said, no, no, I mean, what would a Christian say as a blessing for a new baby? And I thought, oh, gosh, this is serious. And I don't have a good response for this. Because even as a believer who's grown up in the church and who's familiar with Scripture, I actually don't know any blessings from Scripture. Mm -hmm. And I said, honestly, we we really, we just say congratulations. And she looked so disappointed. She said, you know, you say congratulations for everything. Congratulations is not a blessing. Hmm. And that line, congratulations is not a blessing, just stuck with me. And it kind of settled in my heart. And it made me start wondering, um, you know, are there some biblical blessings that I can start to speak to my friends and to my neighbors um, in this culture that might draw them into the goodness that God has for them in Christ? You know, are there some blessings that would be bridges? Mm-hmm. You know, in Turkish culture, not a day goes by that we don't speak blessing. Like, it's just integrated into everyday life, and it comes so naturally there, and there are these incredibly beautiful blessings. Like, um, for instance, if I see my neighbor making a traditional pastry, I might say, Elenize Saluk, which means health to your hands. Or um, uh, to a bride and a groom at a wedding, you may say, 
Birya Stiktikojayan, which kind of means may you grow old together sleeping on the same pillow. Oh, Isn't that I love lovely? that's so much better than congratulations. It <laughs> is, <laughs> yeah. And for a baby, you might say, Anile Babala which means may she or he grow up together with her mother and father, mm-hmm. which is this like very concise blessing that communicates, you know, your desire for the long life of the child, for the integrity of the family, for the stability of those relationships. And it just encompasses so much good. So, so that conversation and my th- thought about, you know, the way I was using blessing in Turkish culture and then missing it. Like when mm-hmm. I came back to America, you know, I realized I, I, it feels awkward to say these things here. Like there's no equivalent, but they come so naturally. Like why don't we have not even, not just not in our culture, but why not even in our churches? Mm-hmm. Do we not, we have, how have we lost this practice of blessing? And so I started looking in scripture. First, I started with Paul's letters and I began to find that Paul had this really incredibly profound way of praying blessing for the congregations he's relating to as he writes. Mm -hmm. And then as I started doing some research, I realized that actually Paul's practice goes back to a very much older Old Testament practice of blessing. And so I started in Genesis and I began reading through scripture, sort of looking to understand not just cherry pick blessings, but to understand like actually the whole way blessing is threaded through the story of the way that God relates to his people. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the book came from, like the books in the world, because that journey began to be one that I started sharing with other women in Bible studies. You know, I started teaching this in the course of different Bible studies. Finally, about four years ago, we were in North Carolina for about six months And I was at First Baptist Church Hendersonville, and I taught this study of blessing in the Bible in like eight weeks. And after I finished, so many of the women came up and said, honestly, you've got to write this. Like it needs to be here for other women to like read and hear and experience and think through and reflect through. And so their sort of nudge was what I needed to begin to start writing given. So I started the writing about four and a half years ago okay and then when did it release it was this it just came out in june june 4th okay that's what i thought right before sbc that's right okay that's right so i want to kind of unpack this a bit i want to start um because i think especially being in the west and then maybe even being within southern baptist culture um and just the idea of blessing um kind of throws out this um prosperity gospel you know and kind of how it's been hit so i want to start with how do you kind of break those two things apart with how a westerner would hear that and why you think we've maybe lost that art you know kind of in the transition um of the east to west and then i also want to kind of talk a a little bit after that of just what has been kind of some of the biggest nuggets that you took in studying? Because I think that's what I love about your book is that it's not just, okay, well, we're just going to take this word and kind of do a word study, you know, throughout the Bible. I mean, there is deep theological meaning and backing to this that you've already touched on. Um, So first, let's kind of hit where do you think the disconnect came from? Like, why do you think we have a hard time with this idea or this word of blessing? Why are we so detached from it here? Sure. Well, I know I was because I primarily associated blessing with sort of either sentimental cliche, Mm, you know, uh, like the greeting card blessings, Mm -hmm. or I um, 
or I did associate it with the prosperity gospel and this whole idea. And I think the thing about prosperity gospel is it's very much about drawing near to God um, if there's something in it for me, right? Mm -hmm. The idea of like blessing as a possession, as something I want to own, as something I want to claim, as something God owes me if I do certain things like give to certain ministries. So the whole prosperity gospel's approach to blessing is self-interested and greedy. Mm -hmm. Like there's this craving, right? And whether that doesn't matter whether we're talking about the craving for wealth or the craving for health or the craving for whatever it is um, that you're, you know, going after. Um, prosperity gospels very much makes Christianity an exchange. Mm. Like, yeah, I love that. You know, yeah. and that's where it goes so wrong mm -hmm. because when we begin to encounter blessing in the biblical narrative, blessing is never a possession. It's never something that we're we're going to own. It's a calling. It's something that we're actually meant to become. And when God blesses us, his blessing flows through us out to the families of the earth. You know, if we think in Genesis 12, very early on, God's call to bless, bless Abraham. You know, God calls Abraham out of his, you know, familiar environment, his country, his kindred, his father's house to go to the land that he'll show you. And then God gives him this incredible blessing saying, you know, um, if you go out, you know, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Mm -hmm. Why? So that you will be a blessing, you know, so that all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And that initial blessing, clearly not for Abraham, like it's not Abraham's possession God's blessing Abraham for the sake of others because this blessing is going to flow through him. And that passage is so significant that in Galatians 3, Paul actually calls it the gospel beforehand. Like the Greek word is proto-evangelion, mm -hmm. like literally mm -hmm. the gospel beforehand. And we see that in that passage very clearly, God's blessing of his people, of this family that he's called out is for the sake of others. It's intended to move through us. So I think the first thing is recognizing that blessing is primarily a calling and is something we are called to do. But more specifically, it's a way we're called to relate to others. Hmm. I think in the West, we've lost this relational aspect of blessing, a sense of that, how significant it is in the way that God relates. For instance, to Adam and Eve in the first chapter of Genesis, literally the first words out of God's mouth are words of blessing in Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them and said to them, God opens his conversation with Adam and Eve with words of blessing. And we've forgotten that blessing was first in the biblical text, literally a way of relating to others. First, a way that God related to Adam and Eve, but then much later, a way that God relates to the family of Abraham. And then the way he calls us to relate to one another. He calls the Levitical priest to bless mm -hmm. the people in his name in number six. And we, we see this relational aspect of blessing 
very clearly once we begin to look at the passages where blessing is significant. Goodness, I love so much of this. There is so much goodness. And I love, I mean, really, it's the gospel, right? That he is seeking us out relationally, that he is able to um, come to us so that (laughs) we can be blessed, you know, by him and his goodness. Um, And I think so much, even within our churches sometimes, you know, we can make a gospel out to be about us instead of God's glory. And so um, I love that you're just able to really kind of counter that ideology, you know, and even that temptation, I think, because we're broken and we're selfish people mm-hmm. um, that, you know, like it's it's very easy. It's very natural for us to make something about us and how that flips that word blessing on its head for it to not be consumed with us, like you said, but instead to be for others. And so I I just love that. So tell me a little bit, like as you were writing and kind of putting together stories and whatnot, what were some of the big nuggets that kind of stood out that really kind of changed your practice um, and and those kind of things in your day-to-day life? Yeah, well, one for sure is as I began to like study um, Paul's practice of blessing, one of the things that I've been really convicted about is the degree to which the way that I pray tends to be reactive. Mm. Like I tend, I tend to react to crises, right? It's when things are going wrong that I have a tendency to be motivated to pray, right? To make it better. Mm. But when we look at Paul's practice of praying in his letters, that's not what we find. Like his prayers are so proactive. Like think about a book like Colossians, for instance. Like he's writing to the Colossians because everything's going well. Like it's really, um, he's writing to commend them like for their faithfulness, for their love for one another, for their for their um, partnership in the gospel, all of it. Like it's a very affirming letter and it's to that church that he says, may God fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. And as I began to like really work on like memorizing these blessings, I began to realize I hardly ever pray that way. Like fully pleasing to the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work. Like this is a church that's doing well already. And Paul's saying, I want you to experience more. Like how often do we think, gosh, I hear like something good is really going on at that church across the street, we should be praying for them. Like God's already doing a work there. Let's see it magnified, you know, or in a friend's life, you know, think, gosh, the Lord's really doing something in her life. I need to send her like a word of affirmation, a vision of where the God might be headed with her. That's what Paul's doing. Like he's seeing Lord's activity already at work in these congregations, and he's giving them a fuller vision of what God may have for them in the future. Um, I think one of the nuggets is I realized that, so blessing is a form of intercession. It's definitely not magic. Like we can find the practice of blessing and cursing in animistic cultures and pagan cultures all around the world. Mm -hmm. That's not a Christian approach to blessing. Like blessing is not a, it's not a transaction for sure. Um, But it is a relational way of praying with the future in mind. So blessing is a specific kind of intercession. And Paul models it for us, I think, just so well in the way that his prayers for these churches are future focused, very bold, very affirming of where they could be going with God. Like they're very much hope giving. When you think about 
the content of a blessing, that's what it's doing. It's giving me a vision of future hope. Mm, I love that. So, and that's really what we need, right? <laughs> like as believers and as those that we're engaging um, that don't know Jesus yet, um, that's really what we're wanting to pass on is that the things that we're scraping by for the things that we are trying to hang on to that are lesser than God. Um, we want to give people hope. We need to cling to hope. And that's only found in Jesus and the gospel. So I love, I love that. So, yeah. And I think uh, as women, I think we're timid sometimes because like, um, you know, in the old Testament, there really are two primary like sort of conduits for blessing. And one is within the context of the family. So for instance, we see Isaac blessing Jacob or Jacob blessing his children and grandchildren. So usually, you know, we have this sort of patriarchal blessing. And then in the, the priests, the Levites are given the charge to bless um, in the name of God. And there's that incredible blessing, you know, may God bless you and keep you. May his face shine on mm -hmm. you and be gracious mm -hmm. to you. And we wonder, like, do I have the authority to bless? You know, have I been given the authority to bless in Christ? And I would, as I was thinking of that reality that like the two Old Testament contexts tend to be family and priests, um, the Lord brought me sort of to First Peter. And as I was studying that book, which has a lot to say about blessing, especially in the context of suffering, mm -hmm. especially in the context of blessing our enemies, mm -hmm. as says, yeah, um, yeah. I realized that Peter emphasizes um, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a family incorporated, you know, the family of God because of our, our faith, the faith that, for instance, Abraham had. And so it is that identity as a royal priesthood, the priesthood of believers that should affirm us and give us a sense that, yes, like we are priests to one another if we have become part of the family of Abraham through Jesus Christ through faith in Jesus Christ. So we can feel absolutely sure that we have the authority to bless as both pre as a priesthood of believers and as family in Christ. Oh, I love that. Okay, so what would be some just kind of practical outside of getting your book obviously, which we're going to um, you know, give details and stuff at the end. But what are some everyday practices maybe that you have learned to kind of do now since you've brought um, just everything that you've learned from being overseas and being here at least for a little bit in, in the West? Um, what are just some daily kind of rituals, practices, disciplines um, that we can all kind of take away just from your chat today of being more of a blessing to those around us for God's glory? Mm -hmm. um, and then why would we do that? Like, what have you seen as the benefit of this, which I'm sure is many? So <laughs> how would you yeah. unpack that? Okay, so I think there are a few things I would say about just incorporating. The first is to realize that we are called to bless the Lord, mm -hmm. right? Psalm 103, the, um, when we read about Jesus' ascension, the Jesus is literally ascending in Luke 24, and he is speaking blessing over the disciples. And then we read at the very end of uh, chapter 24 that the disciples then are in the temple continuously blessing the Lord. And so we see a beautiful restoration after the ascension of the relationship that was intended to, to exist between God and humanity. And so we should be incorporating blessings to God in our own personal devotion and worship. So one is the way we relate to, to the Father. And um, so it, I think it impacts our personal devotion when we begin to think about what it means to have a whole orientation of self around blessing 
communicating blessings. So it's first to God. We should be blessing God pretty much every day. When I rise, I'm thinking, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So that would be the first thing. Like how we're relating to God throughout the day should definitely be suffused with blessing. And so then the second, I think, is within our homes. I mean, I feel like one of the easiest ways to integrate blessing is in blessing our children because they're so receptive to these very affirming words. I mean, my son's name is Micah. And so from the time he was little, before he was even able to speak, um, we were praying every night, you know, may you do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Um, and we'll pray these scripture blessings over our kids as part of every day, especially as they're going to sleep. You know, we'll be praying bits of Psalm 23 or whatever it is as blessing over them. But the thing about blessing is I love to speak it to them. You know, blessing is a prayer that's communicated to them in the presence of the Lord. I started realizing our morning routine gets really hectic, especially in the school year. And I realized we weren't like, we were like dashing out the door and it was a mad rush. We were missing a moment to invite God to be part of our day. And so as I was learning about blessing, one of the things that we did was um, start praying a blessing over them at the door before they left for school. And that one was a modification of an Irish blessing, but it has scripture in it too. May God go before you. May he guard behind you. May he walk beside you all along the way. May his love live inside you all through the day. So those are some just basic ways like We've been trying to incorporate blessing into the day-to-day sort of running of our home. But then we also have been more um, intentional about writing more meaningful blessings for our children on their birthdays or on New Year's Day. I started trying to write blessings for um, Christmas, which I have a friend who gives their the first gift of the Christmas season on Christmas Eve is written blessings for all of their children and grandchildren, which I thought was amazing. But Christmas gets crazy. at my house and so what i found was new year's day was a better time like i had time between christmas and new year's to write a blessing for the new year for each one of my kids something that enabled me to communicate that i've seen them that i see these things growing in them and i'm praying this for them and so we started beginning to do that so those are just a few sort of practical ways Mm -hmm. the other though is to just be aware that blessing is not just what we say it involves the total orientation of ourselves. And that means, and the thing that I think has been most transformational for me personally, has been being really convicted about the kind of thought patterns and prayer patterns I have for people. You know, I don't have a lot of like serious enemies, but all of us get hurt. All of us get offended. All of us have people who are like grading on us or that we feel don't want the best for us or that we feel are sidelining us. You know, there are all sorts of hurts. I mean, if we're in the body, if we're in the working world, if we're working for Christian ministry, wherever we are, we are going to eventually find that we're in a situation of conflict with someone, right? And so I think for me, one of the most transformational things about studying blessing and trying to actually live it out is this call to love my enemies, to do good to those who hate me, to bless those who curse me. I mean, it is the hardest thing that Jesus asks us to do 
but it is also the most transformative thing from the standpoint of our witness in the world Mm -hmm. because no one does that apart from a Christian call to obedience in Christ because it is supernatural. Like, we do not have that orientation out of our own strength and power. We can't. Like, relating to people who have hurt us in some sometimes some very deep ways and still praying for their good, still praying for their redemption, still interacting with them in a way that communicates we want the best for them even if they don't want the best for us. Um, It changes our witness in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think um, as we begin to... to allow the blessings that we have from scripture to like shape our prayers, um, they begin to shape our hearts too. And so um, just practically, I think beginning to like ask the Lord to imprint these words, these good hope giving words on our hearts, and then to begin to let them like, you know, make their way into our speech and into, and, and to shape our actions towards people, even the people who are the hardest to relate mm-hmm. to. That's very transformative. You stepped on everyone's toes so graciously there. <laughs> such such good, um, practical, and like sanctifying words, you know, straight from Jesus um, that are our response to people, the way that we handle ourselves, even in the middle of hard and conflict and those kind of things are the exact um, platforms really that God wants to use to not only show us his pursuit of us, right? And his blessing of us, but then as well as how we get to turn around and do that to others. And there's so much of what you said that, um, you know, just with life and back to school and just various conversations that I've had with women and, um, And I think even just the loneliness and I think the struggle that so many women are walking through right now and what you're asking us, you know, and really challenging of us is very simple kind of coming back to just the word and being intentional with how we invest our time and our words and our prayers um, and our walk with the Lord. And so um, as, as complex as blessing could be, it's, really quite simple, you know, um, like coming back to the, (laughs) to, um, I mean, just all of the scripture that you've shown, you know, and shared with us, I think there's just a level of how much are we actually ingesting of the word of God and then using it for God's glory for other people and to be a testimony and a witness for that. And most importantly, intentionally, you know, even going back to your Turkish friends, um, words, just there's got to be intentionality behind how we relate to people and how we interact. And I just wonder how much our planet and our world would change feeling seen and feeling intentionally chased after exactly what God has done with us. So I, I have just yes. so appreciated and- this. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, that you just mentioned feeling seen. I think that we have all, we are all so sort of fractured in our relationships this, mm-hmm. these days. A lot of us don't feel seen. And oh gosh, I was just thinking two women recently um, pulled me aside, um, shared something in two different, totally different contexts told me something they had witnessed and were seeing in my life and then spoke a word of blessing to me. And you know what, Jackie? It was the same blessing. Two totally different contexts. And in both of those situations, I felt so seen by them and ministered to through their seeing and their spiritual discernment. 
and then affirmed, especially because their words were so much in concert. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, when we begin to interact with one another that way, it strengthens our relationship in such a powerful way. And it's a testimony, too, to the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives, leading us to truth. For the good yes, of others. Yes, absolutely. So I think that's a very practical takeaway that we can take that no matter what, starting today, how are you going to be intentional with your words? How are you going to be sensitive to the spirit and go um, and have a conversation, an intentional conversation um, and not just a congratulations, right? Like let's, let's do more. Let's say more. Let's spend more time looking people in the eye and making them feel seen for the glory of God. So I love that. Exactly. All right, Tina, tell us, tell us the title of your book. How do we get it? And um, just all of the details that are kind of with your book and getting it in our hands. Yes. So um, my book is called Given, The Forgotten Meaning and Practice of Blessing. And as far as I know, I think you can find it pretty much everywhere books are are sold. It's printed by NAV Press, so you can get it from them, from Barnes & Noble, from Amazon, from most Christian booksellers. Um, And I also want to just mention that one of the things I love doing when I am talking about the book is also advocating for Baptist global response. It's one of the organizations that we've seen do just incredible work internationally overseas. Um, They're distributing um, the food that is purchased through the World Hunger Fund and the Southern Baptist World Hunger Offering. And they also do an incredible work with disaster relief, with trafficked women, with refugee care, um, with uh, meeting medical needs, with AIDS hospice work. I mean, really, their engagement overseas, um, internationally, is so transformational in the communities where they work. And so when I get a chance to sell a book, I put a Baptist Global Response card in there um, because I want more people to, to know how impactful their ministry is overseas. Yes. And thank you so much for mentioning them. I think there's so many um, that don't even know like half of what our convention does, you know, like it's way more than a meeting once a year um, in seminaries and those kind of things, which are great. Um, Like we're, we're all for those, but man, like our funds that we give, our ties, our blessing that we are able to give away because of how God has blessed us does so much that we don't even see or know about um, through these organizations. And so I'm going to make sure to put a link um, not only to Tina so that you can connect with her, but also to BGR so that you can maybe um, connect with them, that you can give financially, that you can partner up with some of the things that they have going on. Um, Such an incredible ministry that we get to champion and cheer on and be a part of as Southern Baptists. So yes, thank you so much for sharing about that. (laughs) Yes, happy to. All right, Tina. Well, I appreciate you so much and just, oh my goodness, just the richness of your heart and the word and bringing us back to very simple truths that our time, our our energy, our investment, our relationships are something that we are to leverage for the glory of God. And that is a simple thing to do, um, but often forgotten. And so thank you for reminding us of that today. And um, I just, I so appreciate you and your work and your heart for Jesus. Jackie, can I leave you guys with a blessing? I love that. (laughs) So this is just a very short part of a blessing from Ephesians. But I like it right now because I've been thinking a lot about um, spiritual vision. So um, may the eyes of your heart be enlightened so that you may know the hope 
of your calling. Mm. So good. So good. Well, thank you so much, Tina. Um, You're welcome. Uh, make sure to connect with her. She has so much to give, um, not only in wisdom, but also experience and just um, her heart for the Lord. And so I want to encourage you to connect with her. And Tina, again, thank you so much for your time, for your sweet blessing thank over you. us. And we hope that you have a great day. Thank you, Jackie. You have been listening to At The Table, the podcast for the SBC Women's Leadership Network. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes and share this with your friends and other women in the SBC. They'd also love to connect online with you at sbcwomen.net for more resources and for you to join the conversation with women all across the globe who are serving in kingdom mission. Thanks for listening.